they're like, yeah, it's just one mortal wound for this assault cannon on sixes to wound, but we gave it to a faction with full hit and wound rerolls. Hi everyone, how are you doing today? Welcome to episode 40 of Stat Check, the mid-season stats takeover, where all of the stats dads take over for all of our competitive correspondence. I don't know. <laughs> stat Center. <laughs> it's Stat Center, but not Discount Stat, stat Center. Yeah. Just a godfatherless Stat Center, really. Um, as always, I am Nathan. We have Jeremy, and then we have Cliff for the first time in quite a long time on Mutz. the main show. Taking, taking a break from X and 1 to come slum with us here on the Stat Check show. Uh, I guess we should just talk about our weekends, and then we're going to go into whatever random nonsense we decide to talk about today. I think Jeremy has some slides even for you guys, which is Ooh. going to be great. When we try to describe it for podcast listeners. <laughs> I try to minimize the use yeah. of visuals in this just because of that. But at the same time, sometimes it's just easier to talk to a slide. I mean, at some point, I might just share like of the screen just so people can look at my Excel as I read it for the week. I don't know. Just for boredom's <laughs> sake. Just to give people the extra stats feel of reading an Excel document. <laughs> exactly. We can be... Uh... Uh, well, there's your problem podcast, the uh, the podcast with slides. <laughs> how we Excellent. indirectly force people to check out the YouTube. Yep. Video. I mean, it, it was actually, I think, Cliff who suggested in our backstage chat that we should probably start using visuals for our, <laughs> for our podcast. So next time, not today, but next time. Uh, Cliff, how was your weekend? Oh, man. So um, real life stuff, my sister-in-law had a baby which is awesome. So my wife nice. was in New York hanging out with the baby, supporting the new parents. Uh, so I got to be at home solo with the two bros. That was cool. Went to the zoo, avoided the Please Touch Museum because that guarantees that at least one of your kids gets sick and then you're done for the following week. Um, working on some desolators, three by five. We're gonna put out some bootleg Moraine nonsense using <laughs> Death Watch. Um, it will not be as good as the other stuff that uses tesselators better, but that unit slams. So it's all good. Um, yeah, that's it. Prepping some chaos nights for a crusade league, um, doing this slow grow thing at the local FLGS. We have 63 people signed up for it, which is madness. That is wild. Yeah. It's amazing. Um, there's actually like real potential to really grow the competitive community locally, which is really exciting. Uh, so we're all starting at 500 points. Slowly, we're going to weigh up to a thousand. Lots of newcomers to the hobby there. Um, yeah, it should be cool. That was my weekend. Really cool. Sailors yeah. are great. Jeremy, how was your weekend? It was good. Uh, well, good and bad. Uh, but Saturday was great. Uh, we had a RTT four rounds as usual for us. Um, some of the best players in the city came out to it, so it was a bit of a shark tank. Uh, round one, I paired into uh, Team Canada captain Chris Haynes uh, and taught him a lesson about what Desolator Marines and Terminators do to Solar Watch custodies. 
that was a lot of fun. Um, I ended up dropping round three to fellow Team Canada member Zach, who was running his Armored Superiority Swift as the Wind uh, Guard. Uh, just unfavorable matchup, and he went first, which was really bad. <laughs> uh, and then uh, the last round, I uh, took out some frustration on the local Orc player. Um, went first into Death Skull's Orcs and killed half of his army with Desolators and Terminators. Ouch. Yeah, he took good bits, and I I looked down at that and said, "Just going zero on that." He just kind of looked oh, at me no. and said, "What do you mean?" I'm like, well, all of your Gretchen are in the open, and I'm going first. <laughs> it's like, man, each of this Talon Master is going to have a field day in about three seconds. The yeah. Talon Master actually focused on killing Beast Staggers because there were no Gretchen left to shoot at. Because the each Desolator squad said that unit of Gretchen, that unit of Gretchen, that unit of Gretchen. And just it sounds about right, though. Pick this is why sequencing is important. So it probably wouldn't have mattered in this matchup anyway. <laughs> but man, I, I actually positioned the talent master to only kill beast nuggets, anyways, because I knew that I wanted them out of the way. Um, but yeah, and finished third overall. Zach finished first. Team Canada member Will Paul finished second. And friend of the pod and patron uh, Rickard finished fourth, if I remember correctly. Nice. So that was all good fun uh and then i don't really remember what i did with my sunday but it wasn't productive so <laughs> we'll move on uh <laughs> and then the i'm getting ready this weekend to head down to Trois-Rivières to compete for a golden ticket nice which should be good fun i'll be the competition there is basically uh, a friend of the show dan morris francois lalonde and uh fellow team canada member dom Corette, um, all of whom are stellar players and none of whom are from the area of the tournament is it for pre or post slate? Pre. And it's, I was actually asked about this when the slate came out, um, whether we would be using it or not. I'm not involved in the running of the tournament, uh, but apparently there are quite a few locals there who struggle to adapt quickly to changing situations. Uh, originally, the rules lock for the event was April 1st, which after some feedback, it was moved to April 8th. So when the slate came out last week, which would have been April... 13th i think um there was just there was no there was no appetite to adopt it and force everyone to rewrite their list with two days to the list deadline i wouldn't have minded it because i could have just adopted but instead i'm taking 15 desolators and 20 deathwing terminators because i'm a monster <laughs> it's okay we're all a little bit of a monster when it comes to desolation marines I definitely don't have like 10 more that I'm painting right now or anything on my paint <laughs> station. No, sir. My weekend had like very little to no 40k in it. Um, I played a 40k game for our TTS league um, with a 20 Deathwing Terminator uh, and just and 15, yeah, 15 Desolation Marines into Chaos Knights and made two charges I probably shouldn't have made and then killed six knights in a turn. Oh no. And my opponent oh. was like, I think this game is probably over. And we both looked at the board and we're like, yeah, there are three chaos knights left in that and like most of this army <coughs> here. The key moment to that was of course this will never happen again after the slate drops, but three uh arm three war dogs charging a 10 man brick of terminators and killing three of them. Yeah, it checks because, out. Because transhuman does a real terrible thing to people. 
see the funny thing is because of the storm shields and because of things like field of pain and minus one damage that's not that far off like mm-hmm. you would you lose maybe like four terminators and then they die to the clap back it's they were each armed with the d3 plus three like damage things so the minus one damage wasn't as big of a deal except for like maybe hitting a couple more feel no pains and maybe somebody okay lives. fair enough so they were uh, carnivores then i think they were all stalkers with the slaughter claw interesting okay i always forget which war dog is which <laughs> they just have various bits on them and i just like hover over them in tts and i'm like okay, <laughs> i know what i'm doing or not doing i just need to know what guns and and, and whether you can punch me uh exactly. yeah actually that that reminded me of my round two. Uh, round two, I was playing against uh, Freeblade Lance, and I killed five Armagers and the and his errant in turn. I want to say about around three. Jesus. Um, the errant and one of those uh, Armagers was in his turn Absolutely. because he charged into Terminators and bounced, no. and then. Yeah. Both of the units that he had charged were in the Assault Doctrine and sitting next to a chaplain with Litany of Hate up. Oh, nice. So yeah. he was just like, yeah, they're trans hitmen, and that, I'm going to transhuman that one. I was like, I don't care. I'm rerolling all hits and all wounds. Fours are fours. <laughs> I'm going to hit and wound you 75% of the time on both counts, and oh, you're going to save on sixes. There's definitely a reason that <clears throat> W at least got an A for the one change from the data slate. Which was yeeting all the inner circle transhuman stuff into the sun. That was the right decision. And they get an A for that component of the balance data slate. Because we'll never <laughs> see that part ever again. There's a lot cool. of other stuff to talk about. Yeah, there's definitely no more. other issues with uh, Marines. Yeah, the fact that uh, they don't exist at all. didn't change. We'll get into it. But the fact that they didn't change the output of Iron Hands and Dark Angels at all is a slight problem. Anyways. Cliff, what sure do you, you guys are going to love love that part of our show just a little bit where we kind of are like, it was nice, but it wasn't that <laughs> nice. Um, but I guess we can talk about weekly stats real quick and then we can dive into some more. Oh, what do you. What was Cliff, Cliff up to this about... weekend? Cliff talked about his weekend. I'll talk about it. You know, person. hit the zoo. <laughs> Sister in law had a baby. You know, his name's Ashton. I'm sorry, He's I forgot horrible. about the zoo. <laughs> <laughs> Cliff said. Some very good fatherly advice, which is don't take your kids to the petting zoo because they will get sick. Yeah, no, petting zoo is now I remember that. There's like variations on the Please Touch Museum where it's like you go to an indoor place, there's thousands of children there, and there's like all these like touchable activities. You're just your kids just gonna get sick. Don't do it. Expecting parents, parents of one, don't do it. See, I was thinking you were like, Yeah, just don't get your kids exposed to farm animals too early because they'll get a bunch of zoonoses and (laughs) <laughs> thanks for that one I'd like I'd farm parasites Jesus look man we can talk about that later in the after show where we talk about parasites and really confuse our audience <laughs> oh no if people really want a life sciences lesson for, so that I can use my PhD we can do that later but not right now instead <laughs> we're going to talk about Warhammer 40k from the last weekend uh and talk about essentially a dead meta because all this stuff is from pre-slate but you guys can kind of see some of the problems that are being addressed and some of the problems that are still going to exist when we talk about some other stuff and then we're gonna talk a little bit about the effects of the slate and talk about some of our top five armies that haven't changed at all but just wait 
that's coming. Uh, for the weekend, our top performing faction with more than 10 players is Iron Hands, who made up 3.9% of the meta. They had a 66% win rate and three event wins, six top sixes, six tops fours, and 12 top tens for an overrip of 2.93. Everybody always complained about Harlequins, but Iron Hands quietly just pulling off the same thing as Harlequins did. Remember. But hiding it better. For what it's worth, Harlequins was at like a seven. No, he's gonna he's gonna point out the really good point, which we're ignoring right now, which is the sub faction issue with Iron Hands. They're just hiding it a lot better. So everybody's like, "Oh, sixty six percent. That's not Harlequin levels. It's terrible." But Harlequins almost hit eighty, Nathan, or something like that. I'm sure somebody's gonna say that. Don't worry, as they say, there's always more. There were two. um, Yes. Interestingly enough, this weekend, pure Iron Hands had a sixty two percent win rate, and the Master Artisans Whirlwind of Range had a 65.6% win rate. Oh, where's the extra 0.4% coming from? Uh, that would be from Master Artisans Stealthy, Stalwart Warded, and Warded Whirlwind of Rage, all of which went 4-1. Ah, uh, I see. <laughs> I see. <laughs> so so still, this time they're not hiding it. But yeah, previous weekends, they definitely were hiding that 70-plus percent win rate in the Master Artisans Whirlwind of Rage while Iron Hands brought it down. Just because I think it's amusing before talking about the next faction with more than 10 players, we had White Scars and Imperial Fists, each with a 60% win rate, but only because they had one player, and that player went three and two. <laughs> Good job, White Scars and Imperial Fists player. You're popping up in the stats. Uh, the next sub, the next faction that's in our over 10 is Gene Steeler Colt. 16 players, 2.3% meta representation, a 58.4% win rate. Two event wins, four top fours, four top tens, and a 3.42 over rep, which I think a little bit is just because their meta representation is a little bit lower at 2.3%, but it's not that much of it because Iron Hands aren't that much ahead of them, only about 1.6%, which is about 12 more players, so almost double their size, but it's worth looking out and something we'll probably talk about in a minute about how Gene Steeler Colt maybe is a problem. They've been consistently at a two or higher over rep all season long. So they're a problem. Probably. It also is definitely an effect of having a dozen players ish who are good at them just consistently doing, putting up results, but it is what it is at this point. I don't think it's changing anytime soon. Black Templars are next at a 1.8% meta representation, which is 13 players a 58.2% win rate, three top fours, four top tens, and a 3.16 over rep. This is really more because of their low meta representation. That's a very low number of players. It hyperinflates their over rep. Yeah. But they're not that far behind Gene Steeler Colt. But they didn't win any events. So Black Temple are probably worth watching on a more consistent basis. But we haven't seen them pop up in the stats quite as much as they did this last weekend. So something to keep an eye on, but not something to be too totally concerned about, I think, at this point. Uh, Dark Angels are next. Uh, rip Dark Angels. We probably won't see you in this part of the, the, the stats for a while. A 41 players, 5.8% meta representation, which is a lot um, for a sub-faction of a faction. A 57.8% win rate, 4 GT wins, 5 top 4s, 12 top 10s, and only a 1.67 over rip. 
probably because you're starting to dilute your pool a little bit once you get over a certain number of players. Start to get into people who are maybe new to the faction who don't do as well, but you also probably get a little bit into them eliminating each other for yeah. over. Well, you look at it, they had 50% more players than Iron Hands and about the same in terms of top four. So it makes sense that they're they're starting to cannibalize suppress somewhat. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then the last one I'll talk about immediately, although I can actually we'll talk about two. World leaders, 4.4% of the meta. They've been going up. They've been taking up a decent part of the meta, despite the fact that their models are actually relatively hard to come by, has been my experience. 31 players, a 57.5% win rate, no event wins, one top four, nine top tens, and a 0.44 overrep ratio. Honestly, I think that there's just a certain point where world leaders are just the bridesmaid and never the bride in these GTs, unless Anthony is playing them, apparently. <laughs> just so, a consistent X and one, a consistent. Go for it. One of the interesting things about World Eaters, because I was just looking at this as like when they actually lose their games, because a lot of people think, oh, it's because they're like they're making it to like X and one, like they're going they're going four wins and then dropping in the finals. So they're going like five wins and dropping in in round six. Um, they're really not. Um, hmm. Really, where they're struggling right now is to convert um, the first two wins into an event win. Because, and I'm looking at like the last uh, 230 players of theirs, uh, and you know, they half of them, almost half of them, lose in the first round, which is average. And then of those that are left, another half lose in the next round. And then of those that are left, another half lose in the next round. So they actually have a pretty well distributed, like, when you're losing dropping that game it's not like they're carrying through a whole bunch and then dropping that last game mm -hmm. they're losing at pretty equal round pretty equal ways to the round so it's not like it's like you just can't convert it's you're a pretty average faction the like their average first loss is round two this is the one situation where i really want to look at rtt um, mm -hmm. data a little bit more because one of the things that I have heard pretty consistently since World Eaters re released in that first weekend where they started hitting the tournament scene is that World Eaters are in RTT just terror. Like they're winning all sorts of RTTs all the time. And I wonder if that really pans out in that data and looking at it and comparing it to our own data could at least yeah. be interesting to see well, if we see that. Like 17% of their players go 3-0 and to start five round well five plus round events right so mm -hmm. they're definitely above average there and that i mean that sort of performance would align with a decent showing in the rtt universe that's fair but that's yeah. also i mean like black templars are doing about the same you know like it's yeah not, but from a from a t-whip perspective they're perfectly average yeah like tournaments and winning positions so to get to that four now mm -hmm. they're doing the they're they are they make up three and a half percent of the lists and they make up three and a half percent of the tournaments in winning position. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They're actually doing respectable from a top 10 perspective. They're yeah. just not really converting as much into top fours, which really mm -hmm. is just a sign of them losing at those earlier stages and not quite hitting top four status. Yep. No, I'd agree. And then the last faction I want to talk about before going into the bottom of our weekly performance stuff is chaos demons, who I think have kind of managed to skate 
on people's periphery a little bit. Uh, they definitely avoided any touches in the data slate, but we can talk about that later. 51 players, 7.2% of the meta, which is a lot of people. Uh, I think only when you start considering Marines as like a Gestalt and then Astra Militarum are the only two factions that have more players than Chaos Demons at this point. Um, Chaos Demons had a 57.4% win rate. Uh, no wins this weekend, but they were, when I was looking at the ARCs data, third overall for GT wins since are the start of ARCs, which is pretty impressive. Uh, five top fours, 11 top tens, and an overrep of 1.34. So the faction is still performing quite well in the, despite not getting any GT wins this weekend. And that's been consistently the story across ARCs, is that demons are one of our top performing armies, but are kind of like the fifth. Yeah. They're in the top of five, the top but always five. at the bottom of that. Uh, Charlie K asks, I'd like to see data on Invocatus versus Angron and phase cap bloodthirster win rates. I'd like to see Berserkers versus eight bound and exalted eight bound rates. I would love <laughs> to see this too. But <laughs> list parsing and list analysis, unfortunately, isn't something that we can do very well right now. Fingers crossed, list building cleans up a little bit in 10th edition, and we have the capacity to do that by hopefully having a standardized list format that can be easily parsed by um, by bots. Yep. And then just quickly to touch on our bottom performers, I'll just list them from worst to best, and we'll go on from there. <laughs> uh, Sisters are the worst faction from this last weekend. They had 12 players, 1.7% of the meta and a 28.7% win rate. They had no placings of any kind. Blood Angels are next at a 34.3% win rate. Again, no placings of any kind. And then we have Death Guard at 36.8% win rate. Again, no placings of any kind. And relatively around the same meta representation, they're all just close to two. Um, then we've got Tyranids at 20 players, 2.8% meta representation and a 39.3%. They did have a top four, though, and they had three top tens, so they have an overrep of 0.68. And then for our fifth worst performing faction is Tau, who had the most of the bottom performing factions. Tau had 40 players, 56 or 5.6% meta representation, and a 41.8% win rate with five top tens and no top fours or event wins over the weekend. Um, so those are our bottom kind of of the bucket for at least this week. And we'll talk about in just a second kind of what the situation has been for arcs overall. And I think we lost Cliff temporarily, which is we've lost Cliff temporarily, semi-permanently. He will um, be back, I'm sure. So we'll we'll dashboard daddy will come back in a minute. I guess in the meantime, we can pull up some of the greater dashboard data and talk about kind of the meta status as a whole and then kind of talk about the balanced data slate. Yeah, sure. Um, I guess you weren't there when we did our balanced data slate review. I think I kind of have already expressed my opinions on it, and I've also written a little bit more for Goonhammer about what I think about the balanced data slate. Uh, what about yourself? Where do you feel that it landed? <laughs> I think it was fine in, like, the most... It's passable. Like, it did a good job of doing one thing, which is it got rid of Deathwing Terminators, who are, despite the fact that it makes Jeremy sad, were too good to exist in the meta. Um, no, it makes me happy, because it means I can't, I don't have to make excuses for running my Ravenwing now. 
Ah, there you go. Because I was always playing Ravenwing. And like in every event that I've been to, with the exception of this weekend, I ran at most 10 Terminators. My list, my last list before this weekend was seven Terminators because it was just a couple command squads to wander around and bodyguard characters. Um, that makes sense. So being able to be like, no, I don't want to run that is now a, I, I, I shouldn't run that. That makes sense. I mean, otherwise, like for the slate, um, if I were to give it a grade, it'd be a B minus, which is barely passing in graduate school. Like the teacher would probably talk to you afterwards and be like, hey, this needs to be done better. But they definitely get an A for the portion of it where they took inner circle and yeeted it into the sun. Mm -hmm. Like for that part, Games Workshop definitely gets an A. There's just a bunch of stuff that I think that they forgot to address. Um, and we'll talk about it in just a minute here is that yeah. you have a top five that has not changed. You maybe cycle in two factions kind of into the top five a little differently. Maybe you put Space Wolves in now. Maybe you don't. You probably add Orcs in, but maybe you don't. Like there are a bunch of auto 15 secondaries that probably needed to be touched. If Games Workshop thinks that auto 15 secondaries aren't a thing that should exist in their game. But I think we've kind of firmly now sat in what the meta will be for the next three months until they release 10th edition in June or July or whenever it is. <clears throat> and a lot of that just means that we're in a meta now that got 10% of the way to where it was probably supposed to be corrected. And that 10% was really well done, but the other like 90% of the balance data slate was kind of iffy. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with that. There, they definitely were some misses, but my, I guess I want to say credit to GW. We know we're at the end of the edition. We know this is the last data slate of the edition. Um, all of the kind of signs point to the next edition coming out and being released finally in June. And it was nice for them to not phone it in and just ignore what's happening for the last two, three months of the edition. Um, sure. They did make some meaningful changes that addressed the worst offenders, um, but they definitely could have gone further. Yeah, it may address some pain points in the community, like Kasserkin got changed so that, like, the finial is more in line with, like, a balanced world, and so that Kasserkin are played how they should be played, which is not spitting 12 to 18 mortal wounds at people. Yeah. And instead of spitting six mortal wounds at people plus a bunch of AP3 damage one weapons, that's much more sensible. Like all that stuff, like those were good little changes. Astro Militarum weren't quite in the top five of faction performance, but it doesn't really matter. Those were good changes. Yeah. No, I I think it's I think it's decent. Um, but one of the things I want to bring up is or at least theoretically, how much of a change is this going to make to the overall meta? And to do that, I used the dashboard because it's the easiest way to do this now. Uh, and what I did was I looked through what happens if you just completely take out the three armies that got hit the worst. And even then, they didn't really. So right now, going into this data slate, Gene Steeler Cult, Iron Hands, Dark Angels, and World Eaters were all above GW's 55% threshold. We've already talked about this. World Eaters doesn't exist in their data in their data slate. They didn't make any changes. They mentioned in the Meta Watch video that they'd be keeping an eye on them, but we have no idea what that actually means because this was the last balance data slate. Maybe there'll be a, a ninja fix. I don't think anything will change with them. Gene Steeler Cult, 
They saw the changes to Brood Swarm, and that was it. <laughs> Iron Hands, they lost Codex Warfare as a reliable level. secondary, and that's it. The output from that army is completely unchanged. Uh, Dark Angels, same thing. Output from that army is completely unchanged. Codex Warfare is no longer a reliable secondary, and Deathwing Terminators got taken out back and shot. Yeah, and um, I've heard from the Gene Sealer Cult community that the Brood Swarm change is basically negligible. Like you it just goes around behind enemy lines and you're fine. Yeah, you just cycle out Brood Swarm for something else. Um, you can go look at several of like the main GSC players and see their analysis of it and basically be like, it doesn't change anything. Yeah. So going from there, if you... And I'm going to actually make this bigger for people because I realize it might be a little too small. Uh, so going from there, you then had demons who were sitting just above that threshold as well. And then you had Astromathon, Black Templars, Craftworlds. But then at the bottom, you had Marines. <laughs> All Marines, <laughs> Death Watch, White Scars, Raven Guard, Imperial Fists. None of whom were helped by these changes. Or at least you would, you know, they were made worse by the Codex Warfare changes. Mm -hmm. um, and then you have Thousand Suns, Chaos Brace, Marines, Crimson Fists aren't real, uh, Death Guard, and Tyranids. All of those sit below the 45% threshold that GW is talking about. And this is using all of the data from ARCs for GT Plus events that we look at. If you then just take out Gene Sealer Cult, Iron Hands, and Dark Angels from the meta entirely. So assume that you've now completely removed them, which isn't the case here. But assuming that you've completely removed them, this is what it now looks like. World Eaters move up to 58%. Chaos Demons move up to 57%. Black Templars move up to 56%, and then you have Astromotome and Custodes just below that. Now, Custodes and Astromotome both took hits, so they would probably actually sit right about where they currently are based on those changes. But then if you look at the bottom, which is what this was also supposed to help, <laughs> none of those armies were helped. Yeah, not exactly like, sure. Tyran about Tyranids crosses the threshold from 44 to 45. Sure, they're on the edge. But Death Guard, Chaos Space Marines, Alterines, Thousand Suns, Crimson Fist, Death Watch, White Scars, Raven Guard, Imperial Fists are all still out to lunch. Like, still and, not an army that I would consider bringing to a five round GT. Yeah, and Imperial Fists are a Devastator Doctrine army, right? So they got so hurt by this. They got hurt quite substantially by the Devastator Doctrine change to Codex Warfare. They did make like tiny changes to Tyranids, which were more like quality of life changes, though, more than anything else. Like it was nice to get adaptive back. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But adaptive and, and traits that may aren't... change the army a little bit. And not having you also to no longer make lose... your high tyrant your warlord. You don't lose them anymore if your warlord's dead. Yeah. All of those changes are quite nice. Um, but the core of the bar like a couple percent. But as it stands, like Tyranids were sitting on the bottom end and they moved just inside. That's kind of what you would expect. Probably what you would expect. Yeah. Yep. Um, and then, you know, the middle band doesn't really move, but the issue is that like, if you take out any, and I did the same thing for, I didn't, I don't have it here, but I did this. You can do the same thing on the, on the dashboard where you take out iron hands and look at what happens to dark angels and GSC. And they basically remain unchanged because they weren't taking a significant number of wins off of each other. They were eating on every, eating at everyone else. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, so it's it's a little concerning that we're probably going to see more of this for the next two months, especially mm -hmm. when you look at like there weren't any substantial changes made to the bottom and there were some rather minor changes made to the top. Like I expect Dark Angels will fall within the 50% range now because they're still a very strong army. They still have good secondaries. 
Um, and like stubborn is an, a, a requires people to play around it, but you can actually score pretty reliably on that by forcing people to come at you. Um, their army is still like Ravenwing with all game devastator doctrine is insane. Um, Iron Hands obviously aren't going anywhere because nothing about the army changed aside from their ability to score secondaries. And the same thing for GSC. They got a slight nerf to Brood Swarm. Um, it's now closer to a 10 or 11 instead of an auto 15. Yep. But if you look at, you know, for example, if you were to go to the dashboard right now and look at Gene Stealer Cult and look at what they average, what they win by normally, you would see that it's actually not four points or five points that they're losing on Brood Swarm. It's significantly more than that. And if you look at their average score, same thing for like Iron Hands. Say they have to replace the 15 point uh, Codex Warfare with a 10 point other secondary. Yep. How much does that actually affect them by? I can see that Cliff like live updated the, the dashboard because I just opened it and refreshed it and everything like shifted around like a little bit. Um, I mean, yeah, I think that's why my computer got angry at StreamYard. Ah, uh, that would do it. The other thing that I think I noticed too is that GW just kind of skipped over demons, for example. Yeah. Like, yeah, demons have two very good secondaries. And kind of got skipped over entirely. So to me, it's very interesting to like, I really wonder how some balance decisions are made regarding secondaries and how they make some of those decisions. Like, I can see there be like some practical, hey, we, a new edition is coming out in a couple months. We don't want to make anything especially drastic occur that would adjust purchasing decisions for people between now and then. Let's keep it yeah. mostly steady. Um, but even within that, I just don't like outside of making the horrific experience of playing 40 plus Dark Angels Terminators slightly better. <laughs> like <laughs> the core, the core meta, I don't think is likely to shift very much. Um, no, so. I mean, Dark Angels will fall out and somebody will come in. Yeah. Like Space Wolves probably or Orcs will come in, right? Yeah. I mean, like, Iron Hands are just going to change to the Votan tactic of, if there are no enemies, I win. I because win. I hold all the objectives if nobody's alive to hold yeah. them against me, right? Just kill them. Raise banners on their corpses. <laughs> exactly. Can make banners out of their corpses if you're Drugari. <laughs> Oh, we forgot my favorite change of the data slate, though. My favorite change, bar none, although it will probably mean nothing in the long run, is that they put core back on my paint engines. <laughs> which makes me exceptionally happy as a person because I love playing paint engines. Nice. But nobody else is going to care. And I think we have Jeremy very frozen for a moment. Yes. There appears to be a case. Nathan, you're going to have the chance to throw some paint engines on a table between now and 10th. I might do that this weekend. A friend of mine is trying to learn how to play Necrons. Ooh. And I was like, do you want to play against the like Marines I'm building or, or Astra Militarum? <laughs> and then I was like, Such good choice, time, out, time, time <laughs> out, Nathan. I was like, or would you rather have a real learning game where I don't bring either of those things? <laughs> and he was like, I'd really rather prefer it if you didn't bring those things and brought something a little bit more reasonable. Yeah, yeah. So 
I might bring Drukari and I, or I might bring Tyranids because neither of those two things is particularly competitive right now. Like if I bring Tyranids, I'll probably bring some weird Gorgon nonsense with a bunch of acid sprays or some such. Like, I don't know. Just a bunch of weird nonsense that I haven't played in the edition. Maybe I'll convince my opponent to let me play the uh, Toxicrine, who you can't legally play oh, in like, any terrain environment ever because of the way that the giant tentacles stick out of his face. Just too big. <laughs> its wingspan is too much. It's It's got too many wings, and it's got too many spans. <laughs> I don't know. I The meta is going to be a little dry i think it's not going anywhere it's not changing we have until june for things to get kind of exciting again like we'll see if we're right in like a couple of weeks mm -hmm. not this weekend because it's still like only a few events are taking in the data slates still we'll start to see some of the data come in but we really won't see any exceptionally large amounts of data come into the data set until the week after and then the week after that yep so we won't even know if we're right for a couple of weeks yet about the top five not shifting at all or if Iron Hand supremacy is real. Um, it probably is. Desolation Marines are too inexpensive and too good at what they do, which is pick up everything while hiding behind a wall and then pop out from the wall and pick up everything else. But no what are you going to do? What's like a hot take you've got for the remaining two months? I've got like a semi-hot one. I want to hear your hot take, Cliff. That's so, what I want to hear. This, this, the semi-hot one I've got is rooted entirely in the like peer versus peer uh, dashboard tab, where you can see like, okay, how are newcomers doing against newcomers with the given faction, and how are veterans doing against veterans with the given faction? And Black Templars do reasonably well across both of those. I think likely due to the combination of like being able to throw many transhuman and. Uh, Involved across everything in your army. Like, that's like easy. It's very good. effective. It works. Doesn't require like high pilot skill. It just like does what it does mathematically. And I could see people sliding over from the like face roll of 40 plus Dark Angels Terminators to the face roll of like 60 plus Black Templars infantry models. Um, plus Impulsor. Yeah, it'll be. In that. I don't know. I don't think it'll be amazing, but I could see yeah. that. I could see their win rate ticking up a bit. It'll be difficult to see if people actually do that because, like, we saw at the beginning of ARCs, the Dark Angels' adoption rate was fairly slow just because of the lead time and lag on hobbying yeah. all that up because no one had 40 Terminators sitting around. No one had 20 Terminators sitting around unless they already played Dark Angels. <laughs> 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 and like Iron Hands, everyone already had most of those models that are good right yeah. now from either earlier in the edition the or the end time. of eight. Yeah, the last <laughs> time they were like this. And whereas like switching into Black Templars right now, that's a lot of models to paint up in a, a hobby work, app. Yeah. Um, we have some some locals who have actually been running Crusader Spam for a couple months now. Um, this gets bet like the, the meta does get better for them with these changes. Um, but at the same time, it's one of these things where it's just like, I, I don't know if they haven't already hit that, that ceiling in right. terms of win rate. I guess I'm just not convinced. <clears throat> so my hot take is that we see Iron Hands go full Harlequin on the meta. Oh God. Like just 
just total Harlequin on the meta. Like people are going to be like, why, why did we trust you at all? <laughs> like they're going to hit like a 70% win rate and like a 4.5 over rep ratio because people still own a bunch of black Marines like, or purple Marines or blue Marines, but everybody has a contempt or dreadnought with Volkites at this point. Right. And the Primaris Tech Marine is an easy single model edition. And then otherwise, that list doesn't have anything particularly strange in it. A lot of people have land speeder tornadoes. At this point, a lot of people also have land speeder storms and scouts because of what happened in the last edition and earlier in this edition. And so there's no model in that Ironhorn's army that's particularly weird. So everybody can just pivot to it. Yep. And people are starting to realize, I feel like, more and more that. Oh man, I lost my train of thought there. Damn it. More and more people are starting to realize that successors are better than base iron yep. guns, I feel like. Yep. Like that the the You can see it catching up. The mask is being ripped off of that particular balance situation. One, so I wouldn't be surprised to see Iron Hands become the Iron Harlequins of late ninth edition into tenth. <laughs> and honestly, it just means that from now on, for every edition change, GW, Iron Hands have to be the Herald of the end of the edition <laughs> with some kind of ridiculous imbalance situation. Yeah. I, I that's I my, my that's hot off, that far off of uh, being that hot of a take. Um, I think one of the biggest things is that we're going to see Iron Hands go up because yes, they lost their, their auto 15 secondary, but they struggled into dark angels. Like Iron Hands had a 43% win rate into dark angels. The Terminator Menace disappearing for them means that that will probably go to like a 60% win rate. Which then means yep. that they're going to they're gonna rock it up even higher than they currently are. Like right now, oh uh, War Wonder Age Master Otters is what, like a 67% win rate? Yep. You take Dark Angels out of that and it probably cracks 70%. I think we'll see some of the factions that were pulled down by Dark Angels, like the hard countered factions. GSC is another one. A lot of GSC players have talked about how Dark Angels was their hardest matchup. And that changes when there's no longer Terminators in that matchup who are all on like a one-up save or a zero-up in cover. They're still hard to kill because you go from wounding them on fours to wounding them on threes with most of your guns, which is substantial, but they're still saving on twos against everything. Sure. But they're not going to be in the meta as much anymore because now Deathwing Terminators are bad into a a slew of other meta threats, right? Where is the dark? Angel? And I think the only thing that will slow space wolves down is the fact that a bunch of people don't want to rip hands off of their models and try to see if they can find combi meltas <laughs> to equip them all with. Like, I can't imagine needing to like break hands in a freezer for like forty sky claws or something like that. Yeah, it sounds terrible. With melta, and nobody <laughs> wants to magnetize that kind of stuff. GSC currently has a positive win rate into Dark Angels, 52%. Interesting. I did not expect that. I didn't either. Could be that we only have like a dozen Gene Sealer Colts players. And so yeah, there's only good. 60 games in that set, so. I don't know. What other hot takes do we have for the remainder of the edition? 
think you're the last one who hasn't given us a hot take, Jeremy, for the remainder of the edition. See, my problem is all my takes are currently backed by what I've just been seeing in the data. So if I want to go for a hot <laughs> take, um, <laughs> demons will crack 60% on regular weekends. Yeah, I believe it. That checks out. It's hard to have hot takes when you're a data person. It's really hard to have like <laughs> all, all, all three of us had takes that are like mild to medium, <laughs> like Midwestern spicy takes <laughs> just now. Um, I guess the hottest take is that we will like orcs are going to crack 60. Watch it. Watch it happen. Orcs crack 60%. Yeah, come on, work players. Come on, come on guys. You underline the core problem. <laughs> Throw the kill rigs away. Start playing proper transports. Come on, come on, work players. You can do it. I believe in you, kind of. But not Seth. I don't believe in Seth, friend of the show, Seth Oscar. <laughs> I don't believe in you, Seth. Um, mostly because you keep not running transports in in a way that makes me sad and infuriated. Come on, Seth. <laughs> better than that we love you Seth. i guess i guess i can do plugs real quick and we can do a quick break i don't know how am i supposed to do these plugs again oh yeah um <laughs> thank you for watching this really strange episode of stat check where <laughs> we talk a lot of nonsense if you've been watching this long it would be awesome if you could send us a like add a comment to the video subscribe to our youtube page if you find yourself able to, uh, go over to patreon.com slash statcheck and join our Patreon, which will get you access to our Discord. Our Discord gets you access to all sorts of fun stuff, like TTS majors that are run out of our Discord. Um, we'll be running another one for 10th edition, inevitably. Uh, you also have just a loving community where you can get access to all of us. I like to say it's chaotic comforting, so if you come and you can feel supported by an awesome community of people... You can also talk to all of us from the show. Uh, also, you get access to all of our bonus contents. So you get access to Enter the Matrix early and all of the bonus content that Innis and others make. Also, please go watch our other shows on the network like X and One. Custode Cliff is here right now. Our dashboard daddy himself, who is one of the two hosts of that show. I personally think that is one of the best pieces of content that is currently in the 40K universe right now. Uh, close behind it is Enter the Matrix, which is hosted by Typhus, where which is focused on team events for 40k. They just put out episodes for matchmaking into five and eight man team events, which are amazing pieces of content so if you want to get involved in team content. So good. As an X and one host, I think it's the best. <laughs> the, the best <laughs> thing you can find about 40k, because since Team 40k is the gentleman's 40k. It is, it's true. It's just incredible. As a team's coach, I've been sending those to everyone else in my so team. Good. Like, go watch these. Understand what's going on in the background when you give yeah. me your predictions. And on the topic of teams, Anthony and Ennis are not here tonight because they're recovering from Alpine. Same with Typhus, who was going to appear, is also recovering from Alpine. And they're going to talk about their Alpine team experience which they later won. this week or weekend or which next week. Yeah, which they won, just so everybody knows. Um, you can probably see that content either this weekend or next week on Tuesday. Uh, we're going to take a break for 10 minutes. There will probably be an ad here, as Ennis likes to say. Otherwise, <laughs> you can sit here and talk to Jeremy and Cliff and I while we sit here and stare off into the darkness that is our lives. I don't know. Um, <laughs> thanks, everyone.
Dr. Zero Hour, uh, how can they have a high overup if they have so few players doing well? Uh, I will answer this. It's So Gene Stealer Cult, one of the things with them is that they don't make up a large portion of the meta. And when you make up a small portion of the meta, having a high win rate and also converting that into event placings can skew what your overrep looks like because you're looking at such a small sample size. So for example, over the entire season, so since the beginning of February, we've had 187 Gene Stealer Cult players, which is, which makes up less than 3% of the meta. From that perspective, um, they have won seven events and they've top forward an additional 21 times for an overrep of 2.22. Now, that means that they're basically making up about six percent of the top um of the top fours but because that's such a small number it's very it's much easier to skew it by one or two and then push your over rep higher where it's kind of a bigger issue is when you look at someone like dark angels where dark angels have made up have consistently made up a significant amount of the meta and in fact last i checked they made up yeah, so for the for the arc season today, they made up 5.6% of the meta, which is twice as much um, people as Gene Stealer Cult. Um, but they still have an overwrap of 1.94 because they have won 20 events and then top four in another 28 times. Um, so just that right there kind of should give you a bit of an idea of like their overreps are very close but how much of an issue it actually is can vary because if you have a couple good people like eric lithoris like ennis like um, my buddy dan morris who are playing gene stealer cult on the regular and always doing x and one or x and zero with them that's going to skew it ever so much whereas once you get to an army like dark angels that make up a larger percentage of the meta it starts to make a bigger difference Here's the uh, here's some spice. Is Gene Skiller Cult actually good? This is sort of ton in cheek, right? Like to the point that you just said, Jeremy. Like there are a few players who are just exceptional, who would be exceptional regardless of their faction choice. And there's got to be some combination of people who are very good, who have a lot of experience with that faction playing into other people like players like myself included who are like i have no clue what your stuff does let me know what's going on and as a result i'm planning for it they're getting blasted like people who know yeah. how to play the game are just showing up getting creamed that was their first run in or second run in with gsc they can't they're not planning around it they're not tactically good like is that in fact an indicator of a problem an underlying problem with the faction or is that an indicator that it's really good for highly skilled players so there's an interesting thing, and you can answer that question in the dashboard, right? Uh -huh. Because because dashboard daddy right here is going to advertise for the dashboard real good, which is nice because <laughs> it's a great tool. And if you start pulling apart Gene Steeler Colt into like those various tiers, once you hit the yep. experienced tier of player is when you start seeing um, the Gene Steeler Colt win rate skyrocket above 55%. So it's like 59% for experience. Um, and then I just had this clicked and then I forgot to, uh, and I forgot to re-click it. And 64% for yeah. veterans. But when you look at newcomer, which is probably why, why you don't see a lot of newcomers continue, is it's 42% for newcomers, which is quite an interesting idea of like, Man, I'm, I'm going to get this wrong and somebody's going to yell at me later, but 
it's a very high skill ceiling faction but also a high skill floor faction yeah because you basically yeah you just move both of them up otherwise i'm going to get yelled at later by somebody in my dms about getting that incorrect which <laughs> is what happened the first time i talked about skill floors and ceiling. <laughs> no you're not far off and it, it's also interesting because when you look at the um the peer versus peer tab on the meta on, yeah. on the dashboard it show it tells you kind of a similar <laughs> story gene Sealer cult overall have a 58 percent win rate but veteran versus veteran which is basically our way of showing that you've been to a handful of gts you've probably at, at least run into them before so you have an idea of what they do that drops to 56 percent and then if you go to the newcomer versus newcomer where people are running their first GT, now that might not necessarily their first event, but their first GT sized event, um, it goes, it drops to 53%. So it clearly is an army that rewards experience with the army. But at the same time, when you look at the, what's the, what's the last term we used? The veteran versus veteran. So that like, I think it's four or more events in the last year. Um, they are still at 56%, but Dark Angels are at 63%. Yeah. So just kind of comments on, all right, there is an element of skill involved, but there's not nearly as much of an element of skill involved in, as compared to, say, uh, when you compare Gene Sealer Cult to Dark Angels. Dark Angels just... And the Delta is what you really want to look at there, right? The change between those two win rates. Because a lot of newcomer factions have different win rates than their veteran ones. But what you see for that newcomer versus gene sealer cult is you see that win rate is real low for newcomers and then real high for veterans or yeah. for experienced players and that kind of big change is how you can find those kind of skill those higher skill floor and ceiling factions All unlike the dark angels though. where you roll your face on the table with terminators and <laughs> <you're> <laughs> i was about to make a point but i feel attacked <laughs> I mean, I definitely did that against Chaos Knights as I made like five tactical blunders, which with any other faction would have seen me horribly punished. And instead what happened is I made two nine-inch charges and annihilated my opponent. Yeah, that's, that's bound to happen. Um, <laughs> like Gene Steeler Cult, we're, we're picking on them right now because they're at the top of the meta, but it's not that bad. Like when we look at arcs and we look at Nephilim and we look at Nachmund and we look before that, but we don't have that data in our system. But when you look at all of those, it's very much a, it's a lot better than it used to be. Like we're talking shaving a couple percentage points off to get them into the, into the, I hate the term Goldilocks zone. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's we're, we're in a pretty good spot. Like, yes, they didn't adjust nearly as much as they should have. GSC probably could have taken another hit. Iron Hands could have taken another hit. Demons could have taken a hit. But we're still in a really good meta. Like, when you look at what is winning and what is converting that into top fours, I think the only faction that hasn't won an event in arcs is Imperial Knights. Yeah, I believe that's accurate. Which just goes to show that, yeah, okay... We, and we've talked about this before. Jack Harpster actually did a really good example of this on when he was talking about his LVO run. There is luck in pairings. So sometimes you just get lucky and you don't end up against the the faction that can hard counter you. But going 5-0 in an event is possible with almost any army right now. Um, except Death Watch. Except, except Death, Death Watch. Watch. They're fine. 
Um, man, there's just really good questions now popping up in our chat that I yeah. want to talk about now, but we should probably. All right, let's, like yeah, let's take a break. We'll come back to the questions. We're going to go to questions now, folks, because <laughs> you're asking great questions. And honestly, the content that we just had probably should just go in the main episode. <laughs> so I probably won't edit it out, to be honest. Yeah, that's fair, too. We're just going to talk nonsense. So I'm just going to put up my hand for five seconds. And if Jeremy wants to edit in a break, he can edit in a break. I can't, I can't do it. It won't work. <laughs> Welcome back to the show, everybody. You probably just heard an ad. Uh, I missed entirely me and Jeremy trying to figure out how mirrored cameras work to put ours together. <laughs> no. Slowly. <laughs> it's not going to happen. I'm too old All right, for Dick this. Johnson asks, out no, All sorry. Right, let's start with Zachary Bell because he did super chat this. I've heard various pro mention that certain armies are solid to go X and one, but struggle to win events. Is there any data to support that split? Well, <laughs> this would be a great way to segue into again using the dashboard. And I'm actually going to show this because people watching are going to be interested in it. Uh, that's not the right one. More visuals. You're going to bath. You're, they're going to expect these next time, Jeremy. <laughs> I know. I'm setting myself up for disappointment later on. All righty. So. I can actually see what I'm looking at, so I don't have to go look over here. Uh, so, state of the game uh, is the first tab that you almost always are gonna is where is where you is where you lock onto this. And one of the great things to look at is looking at um, first positive records, but also looking at three to event starts. So you can actually look at what armies start events off very strong, and then you can look next to them at event wins to see okay, well, how many events do they actually win? And usually by looking at the at the ratio between those two will give you a pretty good indication of armies that are struggling to convert that 4-0 or that 3-0 into an event win. Um, so, you know, a, a good example of that actually is GSC. <laughs> if you look at GSC and you look at their record distribution, you can see that it's skewed to the right, but they have very few event wins with that 5-0 or 6-0 as opposed to Dark Angels, who they actually have a more balanced, but they have about 50% percentage-wise, more more X and O's or higher than uh, than GSE. And if you look at it, they've won two and a half times as many, despite making up only half again in terms of percentages. So that's, a, that's probably the best example. GSE have a really high win rate, but they haven't won a lot of events respective to that win rate. Iron Hands, on the other hand, make up four percent of the meta. They won eleven events. They're right on. They're and if you look at it, actually, this is a really funny drop off. Um, but they still they have the same number of five and O's as Dark Angels do. Of the base percentage of their, they make up nine percent of Dark Iron Hands players and nine percent of Dark Angels players go five and O or better. Another sort of segue into that, again, if you're using the dashboard, if you hit up, so there's a little filter in the top right called more than five rounds. So if you really want to narrow it down to five round events only, you can unclick the six pluses. And then in the event record distribution panel, you can see the percentage of players of a faction that went 0 oh, and 5, 1 and 4, 2 and 3, 3 and 2, 4 and 1, 5 and 1. And so that'll let you see like literally who went 4 and 1 
and then who went five and zero? What percentage of players uh, from each faction went there? This is a great time to show world eaters who slam at four and ones and like get wrecked <laughs> on event wins. World uh, eaters, I, I do love this. Like you look at the <laughs> look at the <laughs> right now. So I'm going to read this out for the benefit of those in the podcast. So most armies have a fairly normal distribution that peaks at three wins. World leaders don't. So <laughs> world leaders, 5% of their players win no games. 9% of their players win one game out of five. 23% of their players win two, win, two games. 31% of them win three games. 31% of them win four games. And 1% of them, which is actually only one player out of I actually don't know how many are here, but one player, actually I can hover over this and it's on me. One player out of 77 has won a, a, G, a five round event with world leaders. Uh, I just love that cliff drop off right there. Unreal. <laughs> just like, whoops. Bam. Bam. Brian, is like, that is only five round events, not just the first five. So it's literally. Yeah, no, Brian, we don't. Yeah, the, 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 the top cut world weirdness of that, that treats it as a six plus round event. I think what that tells us is that world eaters might in fact be the most perfectly designed gear slash dad hammer player faction ever, because you will go, you will win more than you lose, but at no point will you be in danger of taking an event away accidentally from <laughs> someone who is better than you at the game. At the same time, they also have a 58% win rate and a 1.82 over rep. So they do need to be tuned down yeah, just a yeah, little bit. Yeah. And I think we mentioned it in the ARCs re re review. I, I had kind of hoped, and Innocent and others had kind of hoped, that the, the pile of skulls secondary would be capped at 12 points. Yeah, and that probably right. would have done enough to bring them in line. Sure. Um, on the topic of world leaders, Dick Johnson asked, world leaders, new players at 52% is super interesting. Probably an element of not enough folks with new book uh, at enough events to make many veterans. So for us, and this is a key distinction that we make, uh, the veterans and experienced and, and newcomer tags are associated with the number of events that a person has gone to in the last year, not necessarily the number of events that they've played with that faction. That's something mm -hmm. that we could probably look at a little bit more in 10th edition yeah. um, when, as when we update everything that we do um, to look at how many events they've played with that faction. Because yeah. we know that there's a difference there, but at the same time you look at someone like Manny Chima who played nine? Eight no, one nine GT plus events since we started recording data. In oh, February. yes. And he won those nine events with six, six different five. factions. Yeah. So from that perspective, it's one of these things where it's both numbers need to be looked at at the same time, basically. It's mm -hmm. another really good question here from Elo Woozle, which is what do you view as a good number of games for overall faction win rates versus specific pairing win rates? And those are a little bit different because it's a lot easier to get those overall faction win rate data. And it makes a little bit more sense when you're looking at it yeah. than it is to get specific <laughs> pairing win rate data. Um, so, obviously it varies the length of the season, but right now, if we look at the data that we have right now, we have a total of 6,500-ish games since the beginning of February. We have 20, we have 33 factions once you include all of the various sub-factions. 
most of those being marine all of those being marine sub factions that we track um but you look at all of that and it's just like okay so on average it's 200 games and right now at this point we i think we're pretty confident that this data this this data is fairly representative of the of the meta as it stands and there's a few that are kind of the exception of that so i'd say once you get to you probably want about Sorry, that was, that was 6,500 players. I just realized my yeah, voice like stopped wrong. 31,000 games. <laughs> I was going to say, that doesn't <laughs> sound like enough, but sure. there. My bad. Um, so it's an average once you of 1,000 games per faction. Th then the data is pretty accurate. Yeah. yeah, I would say once you've passed four or 500 games played with a faction... It's win rate can be said to be fairly reliable. Like you could actually do the, the statistical analysis and figure yeah. out what the actual plus or minus on it is based on. I your took a look at it. It's like you. It's plus or minus like one and 05 percent around one hundred fifty games played. Yeah. So it's, once it's you get to that point, you have a pretty good stance of it. And so you could say the same thing for faction to be faction. Once you've crossed one hundred fifty games in that faction to be faction subset, you're going to be pretty close at predicting the outcome. Mm -hmm. You're not going to be perfect, obviously, but you're going to be pretty close to it. Just reminds me that though that it's very it's very easy to do too early because yeah. if you watch how the matchup data fills out, it fills out very unevenly. Oh, um, so like if you look at our matchup data thing in the tab, like you can see some of this because you can see how big some of those squares are. You can see that some of those squares are definitely a lot larger than others when you click <laughs> faction versus another faction and what that tells you is that you're a lot more likely to see some matchups than others. Like in this one for dark angels, you can see that there are some boxes that are very large and some that are very tiny. So the matchup pairing data fills in really unevenly. And so it takes a while for the whole pairing setup to be accurate, but yeah. some of it will fill up very fast and you'll have very reliable data in like a couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. Some of it takes a whole season to fill out to 150 plus games. Yeah. yeah, like you look at it right now, and for Dark Angels, they're one of the most popular factions. Right? I think they're in the top 10. Um, they have one matchup that has 150 games in it, and that's against Astro Militarum. Everything else is less than that. And if you if you set that threshold at 100 games, even then, it's, I think, only the top six. <laughs> Not even that. <laughs> the top <laughs> the top four. So against Astro Militarum, Adeptus Custodes, Craft Worlds, and Chaos Demons. Those are the only four matchups where you have a hundred or more games played. Yep. So just from that perspective, like we're, mm -hmm. we're well along in the season. So it's very hard. Mm -hmm. And this is one of the challenges that we often have when we start to drill down is it's very difficult to um, make definitive statements about how things are going. We can say this appears to be the trend, but that's not necessarily the, the final say on things. And that's one of the things that we try to like repeat to pit folks a lot is that the sample size is very important for this data. And like when we talk about weekly data, we're mostly looking for just general trends and we're not trying to make conclusions based solely on weekly data, but we try to make conclusions off monthly or several months worth of data instead, because it does take quite a bit of data to make sure that what you're saying is accurate. Because on a week to week basis, when you have relatively small sample sizes, sometimes like with that Imperial Fist and that Crimson Fist player or White Scars player from this week, they can hit a 60% win rate because there's just one person playing it. And so you need to add some of those considerations when you're looking at this data, not just in 40k, but in life in general. Uh, it's worth considering the sample size of what you're looking at.
Drew Euler also asks, and we'll get to the Discord questions right after this. It's just it's on my screen. Um, so we had to discern shooting-based armies, melee-focused armies, and balanced armies. Not from the data. That's something that you would talk about more from talking to people about how an army is played. Mm -hmm. Some armies are more balanced in that you can run both shooting and melee elements. Some are pure melee, like world leaders. Some are pure shooting, like Tau. Um, but it, it's not something you can see from the data. Because if you look at where the matchup currently stands in the state of the game, world leaders are a melee army. Iron Hands are a shooting army. Gene Steeler Cult can be both. Their main Mostly builds shooting. are shooting right now, but there are Popper Princess builds that are popping up that are actually quite melee focused. Dark Angels, they're a they're a stand there and look at you army. Like yes, they have a shooting <laughs> element. Yes, they have a melee element. But mm, the, the 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 problem build that existed was that you just sat there and scored. We just want um, you to come close enough to you so we can whack you with sticks. Exactly. <laughs> big big fat sticks. Uh, demons are a melee army. There's no question about that. They have some shooting, but uh black templars are a melee army so it's just like just by army performance you can't make a conclusion and actually this you know, i'm realizing now as i'm going through this kind of speaks a little bit to the state of the game in that we seem to have figured out terrain from a balance where it's not shooting or melee dominated in the top mm -hmm. it's faction strength that that, that dictates that uh so yeah do so we want to go to questions in the discord i don't have them open yep. i have them open nope. awesome all right uh, the first question is from Adam in the Discord, which is how important is Math Hammer when deciding on units? I've noticed a trend recently that some people will pick units based on what's mathematically, in quotation marks, the best unit in terms of damage. Oh, Man, we had a whole episode about this, which was funny with Taos, and Klitsch was also there. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Although that was almost a year ago now. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Um, it plays a role. And it's one of these things where, like, you will look at the mathematical efficiency of a unit, but there are some things that you can't necessarily quickly capture in terms of output and durability of unit. It's things like objective secured, or in 10th edition, objective control. Um, your movement, your presence on the board, um, durability versus output always obviously matters. There's a lot of different things. So Math Hammer does matter to an extent. But there is definitely a thing like if you looked at the initial assessment of desolation squads, I was guilty of this. A lot of people were guilty of this, where you people didn't think they were going to have that much of an impact because they were 35 points a model. And you looked at their guns and it was like, well, that's a, that's a really poor trade. But then you looked at them in the context of Iron Hands, Dark Angel, Space Wolves and said, oh, their output's a lot higher. And they're actually fairly durable in the in dealing with the return indirect fire maybe this is actually a problem hmm. yeah. the other the other thing i'd note on damage output is that it is incredibly tempting to use averages as a means by which you assess a given unit's <laughs> damage output and i cannot say enough how much you should not do that for example let's assume for a moment that a given unit had the ability to produce 30 mortal wounds on a roll of a four plus. Otherwise it produced one mortal wound on a roll of one, two, three. On average, that unit's producing 15.5 mortal wounds. In reality, it either produces one or 30. And you in this game, which is hugely reliant on risk assessment and your ability to do so several times in the space of like 10 seconds over the course of a three hour game, uh, it is extremely, extremely, extremely beneficial to you to have reliable outcomes 
probabilistically. So it's your best bet to look not just at average output, but like what is most probabilistically likely to happen when you have a given unit do a given job for you. That's it. One of the things I want to say, just to go off of what Cliff said, because everything Cliff said is exactly what I think on this topic, um, is that you can look at the distribution of results in tools like Unit Crunch. And you can look at the distribution, like when Jeremy earlier was talking about normal distributions, you can look at how tight those distributions are in Unit Crunch for the results that you're looking for. Because you'll see in that data a bimodal distribution like Cliff just talked about, with one mortal wound or 30 mortal wounds, which averages out to 15.5, which isn't a great way to look at it. But if you look at something like Unit Crunch, which is just unitcrunch.com, I think, and so. we'll add it to the show notes later, is that you can look at the distribution of those results. And what you want is a relatively tight distribution around your result that you want, because you want a very high percentage that you're going to get what you want, or you want it to just be distributed most closely for the highest probabilities of where you want. But you can't really, I also worry a lot when I see people talk about using Math Hammer for efficiency's sake. <laughs> I will definitely see people who are like, well, this unit is 0.2 points more efficient than this other unit at doing damage. And I'm like, there is no way that that matters outside of doing a thousand games. Like across yeah. a thousand yeah. games, that efficiency will play out, but it's not going to play out across one game. I'm sorry, folks. It's just not. And sometimes I see people do those kind of fractional efficiencies, and I'm like, please stop. It's not going to work out. But go use Unit Crunch. Look at your distributions and use that to help you with making threat assessment and unit assessment choices. Yeah, it's a great tool. I will continue on to the next question. Jeremy will be right back. What is your favorite part of 40K that is not playing 40K? Many of us enjoy the post-game dinner, the car ride to slash from events where we chat Warhammer. What is yours? Oh, man. I mean, like, chilling with cool people rules, right? Like, that's the case with anything. Um, yeah, 40, yeah, just, I don't know. This, this, this particular community is so, is so idiosyncratic and funny <laughs> and cool um, for the most part. There's some real uh, assholes out there, but you know you don't have to hang out with them, so you get to avoid them. Um, within the hobby itself, outside of just like the cool socializing, I'm like I'm just a sucker for the hobby. Like I love painting. I went to like an artsy high school. This is how I express that part of myself <laughs> now. Um, yeah, love it. Love the hobby. Love the hobby. Love the lore. Huge fan. I definitely love getting to hang out with people that I like at events. Like it's always fun to get to meet up with your friends. And if you go to like large events like LBO, you can meet up with all of your friends from all over the place. Like none of us live close together from this podcast. So we get to see each other fairly sparingly. So getting to see each other at those big events is amazing. Yeah. But I also just, I love like the Zen moment of painting where I just kind of focus kind of blind out the world either with music or with just air press airbrush compressor noises for a while and just <laughs> something. I find it very relaxing and peaceful and that part of the hobby does make me very happy. I'm just gonna continue while yeah. we figure out what Jeremy's life is about. We're gonna <laughs> skip the question for Innis. Um ba -ba 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 -ba. oh man we should answer <laughs> as if we were him. 
can you do a Scottish accent? Absolutely not. <laughs> do you want to try anyways? Nope. <laughs> I don't want to either. So we're just going to keep going. Uh, Ethan, eternally confused, uh, asks, thoughts on twin-linked re-rolling wound rolls? Um, and how it possibly makes Spine Fist the best Termagant weapon choice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, this is like actually my legit... Um... 10th edition take. And this is something that like, like I tend to pick up on the like, oh, we're adding reroll stuff. Like when Death was dropped, I was like, mm, I'm intrigued by a unit of these rerolling hits and wounds. Cause I knew that that was like an accessible thing for some factions. Like they're mm -hmm. adding a lot of a baseline reroll to hit and wound and skip a roll when you roll a six on a given like space. Um, yep. And that, like, that stuff is so lethal, especially when they stack together. And so it strikes me as not, <laughs> it strikes me that maybe, unless these are some of the most dangerous unit buffs that they're previewing so far, that, like, maybe they didn't quite learn the lesson about stacking probabilistically influential buffs on top of each other for dangerous units to increase their output oh, yeah. past what you would expect. Like, it's not, I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm yeah. concerned about the lethality it's, being too high a jump. It is a bit of a concern. Um, I'm I'm leaning towards they're just using certain units that have these abilities to de to demo them. I'm, I'm really hoping that this is the case. Um, but at the same time, they also showed today one of the combinations that I was terrified of seeing, which is anti-something. Four plus. Devastating wounds. <laughs> now... It's on a one-shot gun. You get two shots in half range. That's not that big of a deal. But the fact that they consider that an okay thing to combine, where on a wound roll of, in this case, four plus, you do a mortal wound. Yeah. It's coming. And that's a and relatively so, generic weapon term, too. Like, combi weapon is not very descriptive. There are a lot of combi weapons in this game. So yeah. we don't know what combi weapon that is. Maybe it's a new one. Maybe it's a Volkite combi weapon. See, like, I, that's the thing. Yeah. Like, that profile makes sounds like a Volkite, like, yeah. charger. Can, can you imagine though a contemptor dread with twin volkites? Well, here's here's what twin I'm linked volkites that are anti infantry four up causing more yeah. wounds. Deathwatch veterans only have they have it's just a baseline thing that you can give them. Like here's a combi weapon oh. of choice. Yeah. So I'm, like, I'm mm. hoping that that's not all combi weapons. That's just a specific thing that the Terminator. Uh, Librarian, librarian can have has, yeah. um but I'm like at the same that. time when you look at the number actually come to think of it that combination now makes me think of haywire guns oh devastating devastating wounds and uh auto and anti-whatever because if you think about it like how the the haywire guns worked is that against a vehicle a wound roll of x would give you this um I mean, it used to be them... a four or a five was one mortal wound, and then a six was D3 mortal wounds, right? Yeah, so I could see that maybe being flattened out to being like, if they were to do that combination on a hay on a haywire blaster, for example, to be like, it's damage two, but it is anti-vehicle, yeah. anti-vehicle four-up devastating wounds. The problem that comes up very quickly is as soon as you start putting that combination of devastating wounds and uh, anti-X, against multi-damage weapons it gets real scary mm -hmm. real fast 
Yep. Ugh, and like maybe that feel no pain, that four up feel no pain against mortal wounds. Or that just psychic actually. That was just against like, psychic attacks. Uh, which means you get it against smite. You would get it against the mortal wounds from smite. Mm -hmm. And you would get it against force weapons. Yep. So that's interesting. I'm still optimistic about the addition, but I worry that the promise of less lethal is only going to be kept in some ways. But there's a lot of potential for mortal wound output so far, especially like they're like, yeah, it's just one mortal wound for this assault cannon on sixes to wound, but we gave it to a faction with full hit and wound. <laughs> <laughs> whoops. So that, whoops. I mean, we'll find out if it's a problem. Yeah. It's. We, we still I'm, are seeing all of this in the vacuum of information. Like, we yeah. don't have how armies are being built. We, we have a rough idea. We don't know points. We don't know overall faction rules. We don't know defensive stats of things that would be targeted by these things as much. Um, can we focus on the real news? Orcs are one inch faster. <laughs> no, that's a weird boy that's one inch faster. He's charged by the warp. He explodes, which is my favorite yeah. thing I've ever seen in my life. deadly demise to the, to the weird boy. <laughs> so when he dies on a six up, he does D3 mortal wounds to everyone within six inches. <laughs> I love it. Also, his headbanger thing is also hilarious. If they haven't reduced orc squad sizes, you so if orc boys are still 30 max. You could have a seven damage, like strength, strength 12. 12 AP three sniper right I'm here for it. <laughs> I think the precision is only on like a specific roll to hit, though. My understanding remember. is uh, they haven't told us, but all of these things seem to be triggering on modded sixes. So precision is probably an unmodded six to wound, mm -hmm. like yeah. a critical wound. And then you get to pick the unit. You get to pick the model in the unit that you can do damage to. Yeah, you allocate it instead of the defender allocating, which is cool. Yeah, you just allocate it to that um, that Terminator and just watch him go kaboom. <laughs> no, no, you allocate it to the weird boy in the opponent's army and make him go kaboom himself. <laughs> That's going to be amazing if somebody if orcs end up with multiple weird boys, and it's just. Who can get within 24 inches first <laughs> to start throwing headbangers at each other to blow up each other's weird boys? It'll be great. Uh, um, also, I will say devastating demise and plasma gets hot makes weird, weird boys so much funnier. Because on a <laughs> one for that power, if there's more than 10 people, they maybe they die. And then it's if they D6 die, they, wounds to the unit, so. they explode. <laughs> Already so working. Uh, so Brian good. has it. Weird boys headbutting each other's now <laughs> version of tenth I want. Um, yeah, no, and the other the other changes that they approved today, I really like just the psychic mm. phase going away and it being in this phase you do damage, in this phase you do movement shenanigans, in this phase you do buffs. And I'm sure we're gonna see in your opponent's turn, in their shooting phase, you debuff them. Mm -hmm. yeah. For things like um Weaver of Fates or whatever it was yeah. called. Yeah, the structure seems much cleaner. So much cleaner. Mm -hmm. It's simpler. It's, it's great. We're probably going to end up seeing something similar to reactions in Horus Heresy, but just like in the turn space where they happen, yeah. I'm assuming. Yeah. Um, the next question is actually really complicated, and I wonder if you've even thought about it or if WT... Because like, this is really just a question for you, Jeremy. Yeah. Is what are your thoughts on the AI slash bot ban for pairings in WTC? <laughs> that's an interesting one so there's no secret that teams have 
the teams do their pairings research and do the breakdown of, all right, we're playing Scotland. We know they're going to lead with Gene Steeler cult. So we are going to make sure that our two attackers, like our first two attackers, know the Gene Steeler cult matchup extremely well. So that that one is good. Like there's there's no secret that doing that kind of research helps a lot and figuring it out helps a lot. Um, optimizing pairings is useful. Um, but it's only as useful. And we saw this recently at the Canhammer team tournament where you your predictions and your guide to those predictions are only as good as the data that it's being fed. So the caveat for AI, just generally speaking, and machine. Yeah, learning. garbage in is going to equal garbage out, and <laughs> especially more in this case where um, we had a team who was using an algorithm to help them do their pairings um, to figure out who their first drop should be, what they should put down as attackers if someone drops it, all of that. Um, but they didn't take into consideration what they were running specifically mm -hmm. and whether those predictions that they had put forward were accurate enough. Um, so there were some where like their wins, they predicted their wins pretty closely and then maybe a little bit higher, but in their lost rounds, they lost significantly harder than they were expecting to because they didn't realize how swingy some of those matchups were. That's cute. Um, one of my, one of my favorite things about that is it's basically just the ruler determining a cancer or not cancer for skin cancer and machine learning research <laughs> is that they've fed in the data, but the algorithm is just going to pick whatever it thinks is the correct marker, oh, not necessarily God. what you want it to think is the correct marker. And that might just be a ruler. Sorry, folks. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, 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 and that's a fair point. And there's a lot of very smart people that go into helping teams determine how pairing should work. Hmm they are allowed to sit at the table and give their input just as much like yep. having an AR or a bot help you is a tool but you can also just generate your pairing matrices generate your optimal layouts print those out and then use them at the table mm -hmm. Jeremy, so is don't it? think go ahead no 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 you should, you should finish your thought i was just gonna say i don't think this is going to have nearly as much of an impact as people may think the only but the, the, the biggest challenge of course is how do you enforce this and the only way that you can possibly enforce is say no electronics at the pairing table you're allowed to that use the papers wild, in your hand right. and that's it right um which isn't that wild yeah. but it would mean that you would have to print off everything which is insane your yes i could so here's here's the framing for this question i could see in theory it being relatively straightforward to build out like a game theory algorithm that would look at existing faction versus faction matchup data and even like sub faction stuff within it and mm -hmm. like produce a set of results given a given a prompt the is it safe to say that the underlying issue there is that it ignores the players right like so like running into um i'll use tyler and ennis for example uh tyler and ennis both very skilled gene circle players but play like different games, different kinds of GSC. Um, your matchup and your score projections against those two players might be wildly different, even if you're using the same player going into them or using the same faction, based purely on like the differential experience and play style of each of those players. And I don't, yeah. that seems incredibly challenging to capture at a scale large enough to feed into any sort of useful machine learning 
environment, right? Like that this like that's yes. something that it, we all would be able to feel. You need to right? have players that have good un fundamental understandings right. of those matchups and to trust those or be able to challenge those pairing predictions such that you then can rely on that. Like I can't use I've, I've created it, I've looked at it, and I've used it to compare. Yeah. Um, I can't use the matchup data that we gather right now to um to generate that pairing matrix because I've looked at it and I've, and, I've, and I've done the back calc and I looked at actually looked at all of WTC and I was like how much of this actually is predictable by the data that we have from right. Nephilim almost none of it not really yeah yeah because you especially once you get into teams and especially eight man teams <clears throat> when you start to look at I'm going to run this specific build and in some cases it's a build that's never been run in other cases, it's a build that makes up 10% of the data, which means you're, again, drilling down so deep that you aren't getting anything useful out of it. Yep. So. Um, we have yeah. another Teams-related question in chat, actually, that we can just talk about right now. Uh, sure. Louis Luna in YouTube chat asks, since we are talking Teams here, I'm headed to battle for Salvations. You guys attend any of the Team events? What are my chances, like, bringing Armored Superiority slash Heirloom Guard? For teams, uh, I suppose. Armored superiority is Russ's count is five, other vehicles count as three, and heirloom weapons is the reroll, right? I believe heirloom is extra range. Right, extra range. It's um elite sharpshooters is the reroll. Mm. Yep. Um it depends. I'm pretty sure BFS is five man teams. I don't know how what the terrain looks like and what do they have actual like different tables. Um but guard as a whole is fairly solid. Um, you don't have a lot of really bad matchups. Um, you can score fairly reliably. So I wouldn't expect to win every game, but I would expect that you would score points in every single one of those games. Um, I don't know how BFS is doing their scoring. I'm presuming that they're being smart about it and doing differential scoring, uh, in which case guard, they have a pretty good differential game. They can deny primary, especially with armor superiority. Mm -hmm. uh, you can actually bully your opponents out of the middle objectives fairly reliably. It's one of the reasons that my local player, uh, Zach, really likes uh, armored superiority. Is it changes? He likes. The... He goes armored and swift, right? He likes yeah, swift. Yeah, armored and swift, but uh, armored he plays specifically for contesting those objectives in the middle. So you can throw a Russ up, two Russes on an objective, and say, "I've got ten model opsec on here. Mm -hmm. Deal with it." I like Swift personally, if you're going to take Armored Superiority, just because that extra movement like changes a lot of aspects of what yeah. your army does, especially if you're bringing like Rough Riders and Sentinels and things like that extra movement and extra charge distance, I believe as well, like really helps you out. Yeah, it's uh, plus two inches on mm -hmm. the Russes and plus one inches on almost everything else. It's pretty good. Yep. It's pretty good, especially because Russes aren't like if you charge a Russ with like the right buffs on it into combat, it might kill a thing or two. And it's five models obsec. Like if you get it onto an objective against somebody's MSU unit, you'll probably kill a few of them with its attacks. If they're like cheap obsec units, yep. you can do it. It's not like yep. necessarily the best choice on earth, but it's a thing you can if do. Needed. Well, and also bad touching Russes is no longer a thing. Yeah, you right. can't bad touch. You have, you have to do some that. really clever like multi-touching and wrapping to, to keep Russes from actually shooting at your army. And then we have more questions from Sam. So I'll just pull out a couple of them. Sam, Sam asked the uh, pairing question about bots. Mm. Yep. Uh, what is the next evolution of stats that you lads want to achieve? List analysis. <laughs> Give me lists. 
Yeah, list I, I, I want easily parsable lists so that we can do, if you include three units of Exalted 8-bound and three units of 8-bound, you have a 75% win rate. Yep. I want to be able to do that. Yep. Not necessarily to I like that exact detail, but I want to be like, if you include, because GW is talking about enhancements now for uh, for armies. We don't know what they are, but I'm assuming that those are Warlord traits and Relics replacing them. Um, that right there, I would love to be like, if you include this enhancement, your win rate jumps by this as opposed to not including it. Yeah. That's the good stuff, man. Because that, that's like the NBA like lineup stuff, right? Like when you've got like these three players on the court, you're like plus minus goes up like 7.5 points. Like that stuff is fantastic. Um, I would love, this is more just like a manual collection challenge that is doable but annoying, like the terrain format being included. Yeah. Um, like what, yeah. what was used... And then using that as an additional filter. I'm also trying to think about, like, I want to do, like, player stats. <laughs> <laughs> Which we were sort of throwing around the other day in the Discord. Like, Do you want to do it, like, NFL football style, where they come up on screen? And they're <laughs> they're that would be sensational, <laughs> like, yeah. I had I had joked with Joe at one point that I was gonna that I was gonna create that for him so that when he was on War Games Live he could pull up like a player card for the player that he has on stream because uh, every now and then I would do that I would I would, I would open up my database and it would yeah. just be like hey so and so has played in four events this year and um, they've played three different factions and they have a sixty two percent win rate or they finished they their their best finish this year was second at the uh, at the at Adepticon. Uh, singles event like things like that is, yes. is really fun to be able to pull up on the fly um, we did a little bit of that for um, for FLG in uh, for LVO where they when they went when they wanted they wanted stats on I think it was the top eight mm -hmm. players and we built that out for them we were like here's everything that you need to know about them here's their stats and here's their um, what events they've been to this year yeah. Last time they top four an event okay. using Harlequins was uh, maybe in twenty twenty one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can convince WTC to do something like that because everybody will be from team like from their national teams. Yeah, we're just gonna get little videos of everybody crossing their arms, <laughs> <laughs> shouting out their like high school mascots. Yeah. Oh yeah, everybody's no. They're gonna say the city they're from and or like the province. I guess or state. <laughs> that'll be great. Yeah. Um. Dan Morris sent us 20 Canadian dollars, which is 20 fake dollars, to build him a list on the fly with the lion. Oh, it's all Jeremy. Oh, I would just take out all the Terminators, put in more Ravenwing Talon Masters, and just abuse the lion's reroll ones to hit into wound for characters. Just run triple Talon Masters with him. Can't. Oh, two Talon they're Masters. Yeah, they're lieutenants, so you can only run two. Sorry. So two Talon Masters and... I don't know. You can... Asriel. <laughs> Asriel and the lion fill too much of the similar role. It's not really worth it. Um, <laughs> if I, I'm taking this seriously here. I like. I was paying. I, I was just paying twenty dollars. Just... I'm going to take that twenty out of the out of the fund. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but it, in all seriousness, uh, I would probably start with the lion, two talent masters, a um, couple units of infiltrators because you need something to to be able to, to bully your stubborn. Um, 15 Desolation Marines, probably. At least 10 Desolation Marines. Um, 15 would probably be pretty good. 
after that, I would still include a brick of Deathwing Terminators because they aren't cheap. And when you can shove them into the Assault Doctor and get reroll wounds against big stuff, it makes things like knights real easy to deal with. Like, can the, the lion already kind of solos most of those things, but... <laughs> can Company of Veterans bodyguard the lion? Uh, yeah, because he's a character. Okay. Um, just take Deathwing Command instead. Yeah. They're they're sure. five they're five or eight points more, and you can give them a Thunder Hammer and Storm Shield. Yeah, I was just wondering. Just don't don't deep strike it. Like, no, don't, don't deep strike deep, it. Don't do that. Don't don't deep, don't deep strike, strike it. Don't do that. Um, if you're going, if you want to build the deep strike build, I'm not saying you should, well, but if well, you want to build the deep strike build, you build it around a chaplain. You have to. You need the extra. You need yeah, two. you need the bonus yeah. to charge. Yeah, you need the plus two to make it somewhat reliable. Um, on that note, everyone go read the Lion Book. It was great. It's not. It's not out until next week. Shh. Oops. Go buy the Lion Book. It's great. <laughs> Is there? There's an audio book for it or no? Uh, I believe uh, there should be an audio book soon enough. Who's the narrator? I think they're releasing it in tandem Keeble? with the regular book. What? Do you know who the narrator is? Who's the reader? I do not. Uh, Black Library. You have to check the us. Black Library page. Go to blacklibrary.com. Let's buy out. a copy of the the Lion. While I pull up another question, we just have a third question from Sam, and then we have a question from Frank and one from McWerp. Sounds good. Uh, the third question from Sam is: How can TOs and events help you guys in gathering stats, and what extra information could event organizers have available to, for you to help provide more information and data points? The biggest one. And like one of the things that I would like, although our partnership with Goonhammer is getting us more of this data, is I wish that people would require their players to fill out their factions correctly so we can have as many <laughs> list checks. Like if you gave everybody a yellow card if they entered it incorrectly, that would be the easiest thing to fix the problem. Because I nobody remember wants UKTC to get a started card. doing that because people were budgeting around with their uh, with their faction declaration so much that Zach said, "No, you get a twenty point penalty if you misdeclare." Woo! So if you did that, that would help a lot because it would make Jeremy's life as he lists parses or us if we ever help Jeremy. It's such a small number these days. Most people are pretty good about it. Uh, Like the biggest one is have terrain in your packs so that when we Mm -hmm. start tracking terrain, we can immediately go UKTC, UTC, uh, WTC, uh, Canadian player placed, FLG player placed and be like, here's the categories. And if you You could also all use BCP and not use like weird things like pun pun. Please don't use pun pun. Please don't do it. I hate pun pun in particular because it's used like <laughs> twice a year and it's always a hundred plus person event because it's usually the uh, the Alliance Open events. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, if the French could stop using mini headquarters, that would be that famous. would be amazing too. Yeah. Um, and then similarly, if the Polish and German could stop using Tourney Keeper, everybody just use BCP, <laughs> like. Or there are lots of things that we'd rather BCP did to make life easier and Excel output easier tracking for like who went first and secondaries and things like that. But, but yeah, yeah. Actually publishing the go first data, like you you're collecting at BCP. Just tell me who went first in a matchup on when I look at the matchup. That'd be amazing. If anybody has the ear of somebody from BCP, tell them to publish their go first data. And make TOs do it. There you go. There's another yeah. thing to make TOs do. Uh, question from Frank. Oh, gosh. Why are questions so long sometimes? <laughs> Given that 10th looks to increase entry and accessibility to the game and the addition of a Teams event 
to their calendar. Do you think GW is making a push to massively increase the quote unquote serious competitive scene? That is a really long sentence, Frank. Do you think 40K as a competitive event, singles or teams, could be as big as something like Magic the Gathering? No. Uh, there's, it's easy. I enough. agree that. Well, it's funny because Magic it has the same cost barrier to entry that. Not for like your product does. Your local Sta- situation. Right? Standard's pretty expensive though. Yeah. If you want to be standard. It has a similar barrier to entry. The bigger issue is space to play and time. terrain. Yeah. Time as well. Time 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 is another big issue because like Magic has never played a single you don't play a single game and then move on an event. You play a best of three or sometimes yeah. a best of five I've seen. Um and then that's your match. Um, so like if we could speed up the game to the point where we could play a best of three in three hours, that'd be amazing. Ooh. So, you know, I play once where I go first, I play once where you go first, and we play once where we roll it off. So I'm going to tell you the funny thing about sports that use best of, um, it's it random change the outcome and it doesn't No, it's not that it doesn't change the outcome <laughs> is that it doesn't make it any better. It doesn't mean <laughs> that the higher seated team wins more often over the lower seated team. It actually just makes it just as random. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Sorry. Um, the second half of this question is based, or the second question is based on what we've seen so far from 10th. What is, we're going to ignore that. Because that is a question that we already kind of answered when we talked a little bit about keywords <laughs> and things like that. And rerolls is like things that we might be concerned about for meta warping at launch. Uh, McWerp asks, how excited is Jeremy to have to sort events into pre and post data slate again? That's easy. Been doing it for 15 months. Nothing's (laughs) going to change. I look at, I, I, I I look at the player pack and if there's ambiguity, I reach out to the TO. But I like how we've hit a point where we're at episode 40. So we've been doing this together for like between this and fight club for almost two, almost a year Maybe more than a year now. More than February, February of 2022. Yeah. Are we at like 70-ish episodes? Something we're, like that? We did 20 episodes of Fight Club. Or you guys did 20 not, episodes of Fight Club. Not counting a few. Yeah, but I wasn't <laughs> on this one. <laughs> and then a few a few un, unnumbered episodes. We've had 40 numbered episodes of Stat Check, plus a couple <clears throat> of unnumbered, um, plus all of the other stuff. Yeah, we're, as a team, we're 80, maybe more. If oh, you include geez. all of the other stuff, we're 100 plus event, yeah. uh, bits of content we've put out. Wow. That's cool. <laughs> all right. I feel tired I do need thinking to get going about shortly. It. All right. So we will wrap it up real quick. We have no more questions. We're all done. So I'm just going to roll us out with plugs and then we'll say our goodbyes. Uh, thanks everybody for watching. I didn't actually think that we would go for an hour and 42 minutes. That's pretty impressive. <laughs> Thank you, Cliff and Jeremy, for participating in this nonsense. Um, if you could, it would be awesome if you dropped us a like or a comment or a subscription on YouTube. If you have the funds and want to join a really amazing community, come join us over at patreon.com slash statcheck, where for $5 a month, you can join in on all the shenanigans that we do in in the Discord, like TTS events. And then you can also get a hold of all of our bonus content ahead of its general release to the public. Um, We're going to have a lot more bonus content as we approach and then enter 10th edition. Um, Go and watch X and one this Thursday at what time again, Cliff? I don't know. 7 p.m. Eastern. So it's GMT minus four, five. Uh, 
I think it's UTC minus four and GMT minus five. There, I can't remember. There we go. Uh, also, go watch Enter the Matrix, which is hosted by Typhus, which is, has an irregular schedule, but I'm sure that he'll release another episode once things have settled after Alpine. Uh, thank you, everyone, for being here and for watching us. I hope you all have a wonderful evening and a wonderful week. One last plug. Coach, that's one Tim Penny wrote a great sort of like <laughs> uh, practical guide to getting a little bit better at the game after the games that you've played. Um, you can check that out over on the website, stat-check.com articles might be under blog. blog blog there we go it's in there check it out it's really good go check out our written content that we update periodically that <laughs> that article from penny is amazing and there'll be a upcoming article on underhanded marketing practices via email marketing in short order <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. on that note everybody take care and have a wonderful week we'll see you next tuesday Bye-bye. For more shows like this, check out the Goonhammer Media Network. More info at media.goonhammer.com.